Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock, and welcome to my lifestyle podcast, Live Without a Nest. The podcast showcases people who live fearlessly and have the ambition to create something. I'll showcase change makers who have decided to let go of their safety net in order to survive. So let's jump right in. Hi, I'm Jen Sherlock. Welcome to Live Without a Net. I'm here with Dr. Frank Anderson. He's an author and a psychiatrist. Welcome to the show, Dr. Frank. Thank you so much for having me, Jen. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited. So is it okay I call you Dr. Frank or should I call you Dr. Anderson? You should call me Frank. <laughs> okay. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not a, I mean, I am a doctor, but I'm not a big call me doctor kind of person. So feel free to call me Frank. It's totally fine. <laughs> okay, awesome. <laughs> So there's so much I want to talk to you about, um, thinking about love and life and COVID and just every day, everyone faces some sort of trauma in their lives. So when I first heard you on Ed Milet's podcast, I was like, wow, like everything you said just resonated with me in so many ways. And I think that you'll resonate today with so many people that listen to this. Um, let's get COVID out of the way since everyone's sick of hearing about it. But do you think people are still just worn out after two years of this? Yeah, it's interesting because I think I've been tracking COVID maybe in a slightly different way as a trauma specialist and psychiatrist. I watched what people did initially. There was the initial trauma response and everybody freaked out and everybody bought toilet paper and baked bread and they thought, oh, we'll get through this and everything will be fine, right? And then the summer came and there was a bit of a reprieve and then right away the fall hit and everybody went back inside. Everybody got another you know, series of COVID. And they're like, oh, crap, this isn't over. Then people started feeling a little dread. Winter became really difficult for a lot of people. Mental health issues spiked like crazy. Honestly, Jen, I don't know a therapist who isn't full right now. Every therapist friend I know is full because people are really struggling, right? We've lost connection as a result of this pandemic in some very profound ways, adults and children alike. And then it's like, okay, how much can we really sustain when it starts going into year two with the variants and, oh, yay, we got a vaccine. Oh, no, there's a variant. Oh, yay, it's a booster. Oh, no, there's another variant. This cycle of up and down, up and down is too much physiologically for people. Okay, you you can't sustain cortisol levels or your stress response in an ongoing way. And what typically ends up happening, and really what I've seen <clears throat> probably starting in the fall with the Delta variant and through this winter with the Omicron, is what I call adrenal fatigue. People can't mount a response anymore. They just don't have the energy to get excited, to be hopeful, to kind of see the see what's happening around the corner anymore. It's just too much. And really, you can measure cortisol levels. Like people's physiological cortisol levels are very low. So even an intense event doesn't mount a response anymore. Like, like I, we got probably five or six Christmas cards this year, right? We typically get, you know, like maybe 75 to 100, nobody had the energy to decorate the house, give Christmas cards, give holiday cards, Hanukkah cards, whatever, Kwanzaa cards. Like 
people are burnt out and it really is taking its toll in a way that I feel we don't even, we're not even tapping the surface of what it's going to take to recover from like when, and I do believe this will happen, you know, the variants will get less and less severe. They become more and more spread out. This is what typically happens in a pandemic. We'll recover and come back to some semblance of normalcy, but people have to recover from all that they went through, you know, and I think that's going to take a long time. So I really, for me, I really am asking people to push beyond their energy level right now, like go out to dinner, make it happen, go out for a walk, call that person because everybody's so fatigued right now. And when you do it, it really helps. Like it gives you that boost of dopamine, that hit of, oh my gosh, connection is important. I remember going on vacation, you know what I mean? So I'm really encouraging people to push themselves right now because we do know the human spirit is resilient. People can recover, but it's a process. Do you know what I mean? And so I really think it's important for people to be aware of the physiology, like, oh, there's a reason why I have no energy. Oh, if I push beyond it, excuse me, I can get beyond it. So I want to give hope and I want to give people a context for why they're feeling the way they're feeling because it's a normal response to chronic ongoing trauma. Yeah, you said something interesting that it's about connection. And I feel like we as people are losing connection, especially with these talks of the yeah. metaverse and things like that. And yeah. just if you think, wow, people are going to lose more connection if we keep on our current path. Well, it's interesting. I have a slightly different view about this. And, and it's and I've been playing around with this a lot because Part of me is always, as a trauma expert, if you will, therapist, I always look at the silver lining in every adversity. I'm always looking for the silver lining. So part of me was pretty perplexed around what's the silver lining in this, in this pandemic. When I see more and more people isolated, I see kids losing social skills because they're not in school, you know. And so part of me, it's been a little confused by this. Like, what is the, you know, like when, do you remember seeing all the pictures of like the clear sky in LA because there was no smog because there was, you know, or there was no cars, right? I was like, oh, okay. That's the silver lining for the environment, right? What's the silver lining for us as people? And what I'm sitting with right now is it's pulling us all out of connection. And I'm hoping people are going to evaluate which connections are important and meaningful. This is what I'm hoping will happen because with social media, you can connect to hundreds of people who are your best friends, but is that a real connection, right? And so part of me is wondering, and I don't know the answer to this, but part of me is wondering, is it making us pull way back And really look at what's valuable around connection. Because I totally believe connection and relationship is kind of what it's all about. Love, connection, and relationship. Like, that's what we're here for, right? So I'm hoping people are going to take a a closer look at their relationships. Like, there's a lot of people in my life, for example, that 
have fallen to the wayside that I may have spent time with that weren't the best relationships or the most intimate. And I have fewer people in my life, but the quality of my relationships are better and they're more intimate. So I don't know if that's the case, but I'm hoping people will evaluate who have I been in connection with and is this really worth it and important? And am I going to take that extra effort to make this relationship continue? It really takes effort because that's one thing I've been working on is eliminating toxic people, but it's hard. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you fall back and you're like, I'll just deal with them. But I think if you can stick by it, I guess you may be hurting someone's feelings, but at the same time, it's, it's better for your mental sanity, I would say. Totally, totally. And we shouldn't, I'd like, if more people can do less pleasing of others and do more of what is truly aligned and feels right in your heart, I think everybody's going to benefit from that, honestly. I agree. It's something I, I've struggled with, but I believe it more and more. And I see it on Instagram. I see all these places. It's you are who you surround yourself with. Yeah, Gary that's exactly right. Says stay away from toxic people or buddy up more with positive people because you'll notice the difference. Yeah, yeah. And, and really, like if you're <clears throat> so kind of burnt out and you have so much adrenal fatigue, if there's going to be one or two phone conversations this week, which one are they going to be? <laughs> Choose wisely, right? Instead of just calling everybody to keep yourself busy all the time, right? It's like, okay, I've, I only have the energy to talk to two people this week. Who are they going to be? You want to pick the people that, that you know, align with you, that make you feel good, that are aligned with your values that that help you become a better person you know I agree. so we might, might be a little bit more picky because we're so tired but in the long run it might pay off i know that's another thing i'm trying to work on all these people who call me i don't necessarily want to call them back because i know they'll drain right. me right that's exactly right and so so it's it's probably better not <laughs> like that may be one of the lessons i'm seriously that may be one of the lessons we're learning here is don't hang, don't associate yourself with a lot of people that are draining your energy, you know? It is a good lesson and it's a good exercise to practice. And it also helps practice, um, you know, I'm one of those people that feel guilty, but then it's like, you can't give your time to everyone. Right. That's exactly right. So I'm hoping that might be a silver lining here. I agree. Well, let's go into another sad story. Uh, this week, um, Miss USA Chesley Christ um, jumped off of a building near Times Square to her death. And if you looked at her Instagram, she was stunning and she had so many things going for her and so many degrees and she had a TV career. I could go on and on. Um, yeah. And it was shocking because you think, how could someone like that who had the world on her fingertips be that sad that she jumped to her death? So I want to talk about, I know a lot of people in the media are talking about it, you know, um, stay on top of your strong friends, make sure that they're okay. What do you say, or how do you help people like this when there, there haven't been signs? Well, interestingly enough, a couple things. <clears throat> One is that there's more suicides in the last year than there have been in decades. Okay, so the amount of the the amount of rise in deaths by drug overdoses, suicides, they're higher than ever. There really is a mental health 
crisis going on in our culture and society right now. And I don't think people are aware enough of this. Okay. I, I, for example, from a teenage perspective, the adolescent, adolescent suicide rate is outrage is like off the charts right now. You can't, like I live in Massachusetts, you can't get an inpatient bed for a teenager right now. What ends up happening is the teenager cuts themselves or they're going to, you know, say that they're suicidal or they're feeling depressed. You bring them to an emergency room and they will sit in an emergency room for up to six to 10 days waiting for a bed to open up throughout the state of Massachusetts. And that is not only happening in Massachusetts, that is happening all around the country. Okay. So, you know, as honestly, as tragic as this one situation is, my hope is it brings awareness to what actually is going on because people don't, you know, people have no idea what's going on behind closed doors at all. And a lot of people look as if things are fabulous on the surface when in fact there's stuff going on below that is really painful, that is locked away, that is buried and repressed right? And I don't know the details of her story so much, but I would imagine that that is a situation. You know, she's somebody smart, bright, capable, looks as if, right? And oftentimes when you're of that type, you have to keep up appearances and you have to keep looking as if, and then the real pain gets buried deeper and deeper and deeper. You know what I mean? So, the, oh my gosh, people are going to expect this of me. I've got to look a certain way. I've got to present a certain way. That's not really authentic, okay? And usually with people like this, if it, unless it's an accidental suicide, so sometimes they're accidental suicides, right? <clears throat> Other times they're not accidental. Typically, there's a couple warning signs. There's often people reach out, even if it's a little bit. So it's rarely totally out of the blue. They may have called a friend. They may have done this, done this. And if they don't get a response, or even if they do get a response, it might not be enough, right? And honestly, I have a kind of a unique way of looking at suicidal parts of us or when people feel suicidal, okay? everybody's like, oh my God, it's a bad thing. Stop it at all costs. I spin it a little bit. And I say the part of you that is suicidal is communicating something important. Okay. And typically the part that's suicidal is what I call the last responder. If things get bad enough, then I will kill us so we don't have to feel the pain. You see what I'm saying? It's like it's a a form of ultimate protection from psychic or emotional pain. Now, I'm not saying, oh, go ahead and kill yourself. I'm I'm not condoning acting on the feelings. I'm condoning really listening to them and paying attention to what they're trying to protect underneath. Because most people (laughs) don't talk about suicide or say, oh, I'm feeling suicidal. Oh, you shouldn't feel that way. Don't feel, you got so much going for you, right? right? She may have heard that, for example. Don't feel this way. Instead of, 
oh, you're suicidal? Tell me more. I'm sure there's a really good reason why a part of you is feeling so much pain. Tell me more. And then you've created a connection. What I think about, and I wrote this in my book, this transcending trauma, I wrote, suicide is the opposite of love and connection. Mm -hmm. Okay, when you feel love and connection, you have a reason to live. And when you're void of any love and connection, which of course can happen all over the place during this pandemic, if there's no love and connection, what's the point? Right? So connection and love is the antidote to suicide, in my view. So it's always about connecting. It's always about connecting. And, you know, again, I don't know the details of her situation, but every every person that I've ever worked with who's suicidal is not wanting to die. Interestingly enough, it's the last thing on their mind is dying. It's all about stopping the pain, stopping the pain, stopping the pain. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yeah, it completely makes sense. And if they yeah. were slow enough or talk to the right person to get under the pain, maybe something could have changed. Exactly. Because when you get under the pain and you can connect, that's the antidote. Yeah. And of course, medications can help if it's depression or you know anything else or psychotherapy can help. But it's always for me, what's the reason for the suicidal feelings? Mm-hmm. They're there for a reason. Yeah. And they're strong. They're strong feelings. Yeah. If we talk about it more and people feel more comfortable talking about their problems, then more people will be saved. Okay to talk about it, which will decrease. Like sometimes people, oh my God, if I say anything to my kid, it'll make them do it. Like if they have a teenage kid who's like depressed and in their room. And I say to parents, it's the exact opposite. If you talk to somebody who's suicidal, they're less likely to do it because they feel heard and seen and understood. It's kind of like people with cancer. You're like, oh, don't talk about it. It's a bad word. You're like, no, how's your cancer? Like, tell me about it. What's going on? Like, we want to move forward what's painful and difficult because that tends to calm things down. It's when we don't talk about it or pretend it doesn't exist or try to make it go away is when it gets louder. Yeah. Right. And that may have happened for her. I don't know the details. I don't know the details either. I kept looking, but it just, from what it seems, no one saw this coming, which makes it sadder. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. So I, maybe we can do something positive out of this tragedy to bring more awareness, right. To have, to, to reach out, to have those conversations, you know, because there's so much isolation right now. There is. Let's hope that changes coming soon, coming into spring, if anything. Yeah, exactly. Um, And on a more positive note, I would love to talk about what you do with uh, trauma and love and with Valentine's Day around the corner and just, you know, so many people, um, you know, struggle who are single, but then there's also people who struggle in relationships or even marriage. So I think it's so interesting just to kind of hear your take on, on how people are handling the traumas within love. Yeah. Well, that's interesting because that is a, <clears throat> it's a complicated 
discussion, but an important one because, and I've seen both, honestly, like in the midst of like the isolation, the pandemic, some relationships are better than ever. And some relationships have like fallen apart and people have gotten divorced. Do you know what I mean? Because these issues, like when you're sitting at home with someone day in and day out and day in and day out, you got to start addressing things. And there's been a lot of people that it's a make, it was a make or break kind of time, right? Around being alone with somebody. I I can say like, honestly, my family, there was a, there's a secret part of me that loved the pandemic because the four of us, my husband, me, and my two kids spent day in and day out together in a way that was like the best family time ever. You know what I mean? So there's, there's really an opportunity to work on your relationship, to talk about things, to not run away and leave and you're forced to deal. Do you know what I mean? And positive things can really become of that. And I think there's a lot of people where that happened where they were forced to be with each other and they worked through stuff and actually brought themselves to greater intimacy. What ends up happening for me with trauma in relationships, and this is the having the hard conversation, staying and having the hard conversation. Most people are drawn to somebody. Most people are attracted based on their younger childhood wounding, okay? And that may sound like a strange thing, but we attraction is, is basically our young childhood wounds wanting redemption, okay? Wanting a solution. So let's say like, oh my God, look at you. You're going to be everything my mother or father never was, okay? Attraction is we're drawn to somebody who we feel can help us heal, okay? And I think everybody does this to some degree. Now, the issue is that there's nothing wrong with doing that when you're drawn to somebody because you see see some potential in them. You see some hope in them. You see some potential for having a good relationship with them. Like, that's why we do it, right? What ends up happening is when you get into what I call phase two of a relationship is when things get hard. Phase one is all like, you know, um, <clears throat> fireworks and um, starry-eyed nights. Phase two is when it gets bumpy, right? It's like, okay, are you going to then look at yourself and look at your history? This is where heal your own trauma comes in for me. Because if you stay relying on the other person to heal your wounds, it's not going to work. If you are attracted to somebody because you see potential in them, and then the, the shit starts hitting the fan, so to speak, that's when you do what I call the U-turn. You start looking at yourself. All right, what about me is causing this trouble? Hey, wait a minute. This is the third person that I've attracted to that's like this. What about me is attracting that in somebody else? So, Couples need to both do the U-turn. And really successful relationships are when each person will take responsibility for their own behavior and look at themselves in the context of being in a relationship. And those are the relationships that are successful. Okay? Is anybody perfect? Absolutely not. Is anybody going to solve all of our problems? No way. 
<clears throat> but if you have somebody who's willing to look at themselves, take responsibility for their behavior, and work out the bumps with you, that's what successful intimacy is about. So that's what I'm hoping people will look for. Like, you know, <laughs> I'd say everybody has trauma in their life in one form or another. Okay, I don't think anybody is lucky enough to be unscathed by the world. We all have human experiences. So it's not that you're not going to be traumatized. It's can you find somebody who's willing to work it out with you? Not to fix it for you, but to be with you while you work it out. And that's a huge gift. You know, a friend and colleague of mine said, and I love this, she's a couples therapist. She said, you know what intimacy is? Into me, see. <laughs> and I was like, oh my God, I love that. Her name is Tony Herbine Blank. Into me, see. And I thought that is what intimacy is. It's like, am I going to let you see all of me? Yeah. Right? And is all of me okay with you? Not just the pretty parts or the good part, right? And for me, that's the real intimacy challenge is can I, can I share all the parts with me, all the bumps and all the bruises, and are you going to be okay with that? And are you going to share all of your bumps and bruises, and will I be okay with that? Like that's, the, for me, the true sign of intimacy, honestly. And when can couples um, overcome adversity like that, or challenges, I should say, they're the ones that tend to last. Totally. It's not that challenges or adversity doesn't happen. It's how well, and I always look at this when I'm doing couples therapy. I, I don't look at couples doing well in good times. I look at how well could they do through adversity. Because that's the true test. Because it's not that you're not going to have adversity. Oh, there's, there's such a great couple, they never get in fights. Not realistic. How do they handle fights? A better question, right? That's a much yeah. better question. Exactly. So what about single people who are suffering and in the <clears throat> world we live now uh, with apps and people always thinking there's something better next? I mean, how do single people navigate this time? Yeah, that's a really good question. And honestly, I think that's super, super challenging. Like, you know, I think about a lot of my friends that are single or anybody who's single during this time, <laughs> that is that is harder than being in a family. Well, I don't know. I, you're in a family that's dysfunctional and everybody's fighting, or you're by yourself, you know, when everybody else is fighting and you're alone. You yes. can, right? It, it can go either way, right? Yes. Oh, thank goodness I'm not with my crazy family. Yes. Would be one thing. Glad to be alone. Or, wow, I wish I had someone to fight with, yes. someone to interact with, someone to you know, to be with. Um, I, the thing that I say is, um, and I have a friend who lives in Manhattan who's single and he likes being single and he's been single for a really long time, but he's really figured out how to regulate his contact as a single person, you know, and he calls me and he reaches out and, you know, he, he has a better control over his contact right? If he's feeling the need for contact, he reaches out. He's got a list of people to call and he knows 
who will respond, right? Mm -hmm. So I think people who are single should really be careful about that adrenal fatigue and not, you know, I'll forget it. I just won't. Never mind. It's too, you know, why bother? Because that could really be really toxic for someone who's single, who's living alone, right? So I think, you know, choosing contact, choosing when you want it, when you need it, regulating the amount of contact. You know, everybody was doing Zoom cocktail parties once upon a time, right? Nobody does them anymore. Right. You know, right? Everybody stopped doing Zoom cocktail parties. I think, wait a minute, figure out the ways if you're single to keep connection. Like with a friend of mine, um, even during the, the worst part of the pandemic with all the quarantining, he was out every day. He was walking down the street. He was saying hello to the people in the stores. You know, like he got contact, you know what I mean? And he was up and down, you know, Fifth Avenue many, many times getting social contact, <clears throat> you know? So I think it's important to figure out what your needs are mm-hmm. and how to get those needs met. Right, because it's not easy, especially in a <laughs> pandemic and on the different sites and um yeah, a lot of people just don't even want to do the work because they're probably just exhausted <coughs> talking to so many people, you know? You know, <clears throat> one friend of mine said, I was like, oh, I, I just, yeah, he, he was a friend of mine. Um, so, what did he say? Like, he, so it was a friend in LA and I was in Boston. I was like, oh my God, I can't wait. I'm doing some work in LA now. Oh my God, I can't wait to come out there and just give you a big hug. I miss you. He's like, Frank. This is the way relationships work now. They're all virtual. Like, this is our new normal. This is how we need to be intimate. And I thought that was an interesting thing. I was like, wow. Like, he, and he was saying it kind of positively, like, I'm learning how to have relationships virtually. He's like, because this is what I've got right now. And so I'm going to make the best of it. And I thought that was a positive spin on, you know, okay, these are the, this is the way I can connect. I'm going to make the most of it. And this is the way I'm going to hit. And he even started dating somebody and dated this woman. And they started their whole relationship online, virtually. They were living kind of far away. They couldn't see each other. But they started a relationship. And I've heard many people start relationships virtually and then eventually meet up in person. And it's worked out. Yeah, I have too. Quite a few. Yeah. Yeah. So it is pretty cool. I guess that's the benefit of a pandemic dating world? Well, it's a new world. And it's like, you know, I wrote this article recently on resilience. And it's like, Ariana Huffington was like, it's the word of the decade. And I thought, you know what, that's a great word, like resilience. Like, how resilient are you? Like, what are you going to do? And how are you going to make the most out of this difficult situation? Because it is a difficult situation. It really is. That's very interesting. People should just be more positive minded and think of it instead of exhausting. Think of it as just an opportunity to meet people that you wouldn't normally meet. Try to try to try to see it that other way. Like, oh, my God, this is amazing. Like, I could be friends with people all over the world now. You know what I mean? Like, it's interesting. Like, it's true. Like I'm doing I do. I used to travel all over the world teaching workshops. I travel all over the world still. I just did a workshop last week in Japan, right from here. <laughs> you know what I mean? I was like, right from here. You know, three weeks ago, I was in Portugal, right from here. 
Yeah. You know what I mean? So I'm, I'm still reaching out, but it's, do, it's done in a different way. I'm connecting with people. I'm teaching them about how to heal from trauma, but I've adapted to the world that we're living in. And I'm doing it this way instead of flying out and having this amazing Korean meal in, in Seoul or something like this. Do you know what I mean? But you can so we, people. Yeah, you still, I'm still having an impact, even though it's done on it. You know, and there's some of it's great because I don't even have to leave my home. I don't have to do the headache of travel. And some of it's sad because I love those cultural differences and experiences, right? So it's both, though. It, yeah. You've got to kind of hold both sides. What's good about this? What isn't so good about this? And how am I going to make the best of it? I agree. So do you have a special trauma that you love more than others? I know that's a weird question, but I'm just curious. Is there something that you like to focus on more than something else? Um, I wouldn't call it a special trauma, but young attachment wounding is something that's really, um, how do I say it? Very powerful healing. And people aren't aware of that. And one of those, for those people who don't know, like young attachment wounding is wounding that happens within the first two years of life. And some people would not even think that that exists, right? Young attachment trauma is what we call it. And this is when primary caregivers, for whatever reason, weren't there for these babies. And these babies encode well, your mother's depressed, your father's drinking, they weren't holding you enough. Like any number of things can happen in attachment wounding. We as children need primary caregivers for survival. You know, you, so I heard, I'm working with somebody right now who <coughs> was left in the crib for hours and hours hungry and crying because they thought this is the way you teach a kid how to sleep, right? You know, it's like sleep training. Right. And this person has this huge trauma around being neglected and starving. They have eating issues. They feel they hold this feel feeling of neglect, being neglected, unwanted, and it is all rooted in being left in a crib for hours at a time to cry. The thing that's kind of fascinating about it is there's no words attached to the experience because these traumas happen before kids have language. Right? right? So you have to deal with it non-verbally. Okay? So you, the, when you're working with somebody who has young attachment trauma, they like will feel it in their body, but there's no words attached to it. Or they have a strong emotion, but they don't know what the emotion is related to. Okay? And so you've, you just work with those in a slightly different way, but profound healing can happen. You can heal young attachment wounds when you're dealing with those physical sensations or emotions that don't have words attached to them. And people can feel so much better. Like those young attachment wounds drive most relationships. Like these are the people who are super needy, you know, who can't be alone. Like it's rooted in an attachment wound, perhaps. Right? that out like because if they probably don't remember the time in the crib unless it's through <coughs> hypnotherapy or something well it's interesting so the kind of work i do called internal family systems therapy is this specialized kind of work and we have people go inside it's like meditation and listen 
to any thoughts, feelings, or physical sensations that come up. So it's not talk therapy. Most traditional therapies talk therapy. This is, all right, just go inside and notice what comes up. Okay, I had one client, for example, going inside, going inside, notice what comes up. And he kept feeling like, I feel like I'm being hit. Feel like I'm being hit. I'm like, okay, just stay with that. Just stay with that. And he got this image, which was shocking to him because he's had all of these physical problems his whole life, multiple physical problems. He got this image and he heard sounds of being a baby in utero where his mother was being beaten by her boyfriend. And he had the blows as a baby. Wow. That was stored in his body for being hit while she was pregnant. Now, that was shocking to him. And he goes like, oh, my God, I can't believe this. Now, I didn't come up with that. This was something that came to him from within. And we were able to do some healing work with his baby that was in utero. And he had heard the story. He knew his mom had this boyfriend who she got pregnant with, who was really abusive. So it had a context for him, interestingly enough, but never in a million years did he ever think that would come up. And we were able to help that baby release some of that trauma. And he's done so much better because of that, which is surprising, but it's really true. If you think about our traumas held in our bodies, Mm-hmm. regardless of what age, if you're being hit, it's stored in your body. So that kind of work for me is really fascinating. It has a profound effect, right? And people are really never expecting that. They think, oh, if I can't talk about, you know, being six years old and being bullied in the playground, then it doesn't exist as a trauma, but that's not true. Right. That's interesting. It is fascinating. I mean, I'm sure everyone can dig up something. Yeah. Well, it, because we all have something. We all have something. We do. I mean, I think that's, that's the reality. And we all can heal from it. Like, that's the other message. Yes, we all have something. And <clears throat> as someone with my own trauma history, it can be healed. Like, that is my message. Yes, you can do the work. Yes, you can heal from this. You do not have to carry this stuff around. There's a way to release it. There's a way to release it. And was your trauma, it was family-based? Yeah, my trauma was family-based. You know, it was always hidden in the house. Nobody outside knew, right? And nobody outside knew. And um, it took me kind of um, <clears throat> getting, out, getting out of college, moving to Boston, away from the family from the Midwest, getting into my own therapy. I was like, holy crap, a lot happened. You know, because kids tend to normalize their environment growing up because it's all they know. So it's for me getting away and start doing my own therapy. It's like, wow, a lot of stuff happened there that really wasn't okay. And I've healed a lot of it. And I have great relationships with my family now. You know, like this stuff can be worked through, um, which is really my message. So like trauma can happen and so can healing. Well, I'm sure today many people are motivated by your message and just letting people know that you can heal and you can be happier and you can find love. And if you have any yeah. type- Suicidal thoughts or issues, you, you should really speak out to someone. Totally. Absolutely. I want to promote your book a little bit before we uh, end this. So it's called Transcending Trauma, and it's available on Amazon. Anywhere else? 
Yeah, the um, PESI, P-E-S-I dot com, uh, Target, I think, um, <clears throat> Barnes and Nobles, like most of these, I was going to say, most online bookstores now, <laughs> they probably are in the stores too, but who goes to stores kind of anymore? But most of the, like, you know, Amazon, Target, Barnes and Noble, and then Pessy is the publisher. Um, it, it's available. And also you can get it, you know, my, on my website, like people can also order it directly from my website, which is frankandersonmd.com. And could we see this book as a Netflix series one day, I think? You know what I'm hoping? It's so funny because, you know, I that you say that because I've been a psychotherapist, trauma expert, psychiatrist for many, many years. Since 1992, I've been doing this work. And ever since this book got released, I have this kind of calling to bring this message of healing to the general public, to the larger world. So I appreciate, you know, podcasts like this and, you know, people like you that are helping spread this message. And it really is something that I really hope to show people on a Netflix series or an Apple TV show or, you know, any number of media outlets. I want to show people that healing from trauma is possible. I have this fantasy of not only interviewing somebody, but showing the work so that people at home can see like, oh my God, this is possible because I want people to know that it's possible. So yeah, I hope it happens someday. That is, that is certainly in my wish list of things to occur. I think you're made for TV, so I have no doubt it will happen for you. And it was such a pleasure to have you on. I was so excited to finally talk to you after listening to you on Ed Milet's podcast and then looking at your website. So everyone should head to frankandersonmd.com and check out his book. Um, and you'll see him on Netflix, I'm sure, soon. <laughs> Thanks so much. Well, that's it for now. Thanks, everyone, for joining us. Please reach out to me so I can feature you on my show. I do respond to everyone. You can find me on my Instagram at Jennifer Sherlock or my business Instagram at Jenna.com. And check out our new website coming soon, livewithoutanet.com. Thanks again. And I look forward to taking risks with you.